0: From Springfield, this is State Week, a program of analysis and commentary on the events that made news this past week in Illinois' state government and politics.
1: This Republican believes that there was an insurrection on January 6th. There's no doubt in my mind that he manipulated, instigated, aided, and abetted an insurrection on January 6th. However, having said that, is not my place to rule on that today.
2: We are confident that the Illinois courts, upon appeal, are going to remove Mr. Trump from the ballot in our state. That's a Chicago attorney, Matthew Pierce. He represents voters challenging Donald Trump's candidacy. And earlier this week, the Illinois State Board of Elections decided not to kick Donald Trump or Joe Biden off the ballot, despite challenges to both. We heard there from a State Board of Elections member, Catherine McCrory. We're going to talk more about that all coming up here on State Week. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield, and our panel includes Charlie Wheeler, Professor Emeritus and former Director of the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield. Charlie's also been a longtime Statehouse reporter and observer. Our guest this week is Amanda Vinicky with Chicago Tonight. And Amanda, it's always good to have you back with us.
1: You know that I love you the most, Sean, and all the public radio listeners. So glad to be back.
2: So, Amanda, you did cover... This State Board of Elections hearing, there was some thought that maybe the board would do what some other states have done, and that is try to remove Donald Trump from the ballot. This all goes back to the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, and it deals, of course, with uh, insurrectionists and running for public office. There are some people who feel that Donald Trump should be excluded from the ballot because of January 6th, the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. So anyway, the State Board of Elections did not act to do that this week. What did they decide, and where does this go from here?
1: So this comes actually after a whole lot of filings back and forth, and you had a hearing officer, a retired judge from Kankakee County, a Republican, I think it is crucial to add, who ruled and made that recommendation to the state board and had the agreement of the State Board of Elections General Counsel that in fact, the objection to Trump being on the ballot should be dismissed and that the former president should be on the ballot. The general counsel, though, so really the state board's top attorney, as well as that retired judge who served as the hearing officer in this case, had sort of different lines of thinking in part as to why. And also crucial to point out that the hearing officer had found that evidence did show Trump should be considered an insurrectionist and by that line of thinking removed from the ballot. So why then did the board vote that he should be on it in the hearing at the hearing officer's recommendation? Well, because the belief is that this is just beyond the scope of what the state board of elections members are there to do. That instead really they should be sort of doing the equivalent of dotted I's and crossed T's was there enough signatures. Did Trump follow the rules to make it on the ballot? And there was another argument actually from the general counsel that beyond that this was outside of the jurisdiction of the state board of elections, he got to this heart of the statement of candidacy in which you have the candidate, in this case, Donald Trump, attesting that he meets all of the qualifications to run for the presidency. And the general counsel said, you know, Trump did Give his lend his signature to that, but did not knowingly lie that in the eyes of Trump, he is not an insurrectionist, at least if you take his word for it and that of his lawyers. And therefore, it wasn't patently false, at least from the candidate's point of view. Um, so that was what you had the board end up voting along with. They said this is beyond the scope that we can deal with. And and you heard at the top of the show, Sean one of the board members, uh, again, this is a bipartisan board, so equal number of Democrats and Republicans who voted unanimously along those lines, despite a couple of Republicans, in fact, speaking up and showing why they cast votes as they did, including who you heard at the top there, Catherine McCory, who said she also believes that there is reason to believe Trump is an insurrectionist and therefore shouldn't be on the ballot, but that this is just not something that the board should be dealing with. Um, and by the way, I want to add that that was the argument Trump's attorneys had made. They made various arguments. One of them kind of interesting that um inciting an insurrection is different than engaging in one. And that while they say their clients didn't do either, if you were going to find that he did anything, it would be this sort of instigating, but that he wasn't at the Capitol engaging in violence, to use the verb used in the constitution itself. But really, they had argued that There wasn't time nor opportunity for the State Board of Elections to really get into the nitty gritty that unlike the procedure in Colorado that is, of course, heading to the U.S. Supreme Court later this month to be heard, that unlike in Colorado, Illinois didn't really have the chance for discovery. It wasn't a true court case. And so therefore, the board, again, lacking not just the, the jurisdiction, but really the ability to deal with a question of this magnitude,
2: yeah, Charlie, what do you, what's your take on that? Because we've watched the state board of elections throughout the years; they've kicked people off the ballot for various reasons. I mean, whether you favor Donald Trump, whether you're in his camp or not, uh, it, it seemed like they were punting this a bit. And uh, maybe I'm, maybe that's not fair to say. Your thoughts on it?
0: I, I guess, in a sense, they were. But as Amanda noted, a couple of the Republican members indicated, and and in fact, uh, Ms. McCrory said flat out, uh, and this is a quote from her, there's no doubt in my mind that he manipulated, instigated, aided, and abetted an insurrection on January 6th. However, having said that, it is not my place to rule on that today, uh, which is basically the, the quote that we had to open to show. So in a sense, they did pun it, but on the other hand, it's probably an academic exercise and it doesn't make any difference one way or the other and the reason i say it is because donald trump is not going to win illinois electoral votes no matter what i mean he got beaten the last couple times out by what like 17 percentage points in 2016 and 2020 so illinois is not a state that is going to vote for donald trump also the bottom line as amanda indicated the colorado judgment is before the U.S. Supreme Court, and it'll be the U.S. Supreme Court who makes the final call. And so it doesn't matter if Illinois kicked him off the ballot. It wouldn't matter if if all 50 states kicked him off the ballot. If the U.S. Supreme Court says, no, uh, he is not in violation of the 14th Amendment, he's eligible, that would be the end of the matter. So that's why I say it. it's an interesting case, but it's really not going to have much impact in the long run i don't believe ap had a story they noted that uh, the u.s supreme court has never ruled on a case involving this particular section of the 14th amendment it, it was adopted in 1868 to keep former confederates from returning to office the legal scholars say that the clause applies to trump because of his role in the uh in trying to overthrow the 2020 presidential election but whether or not. it it will apply now remains to be seen And section three was heavily used right after the civil war but congress in 1872 granted amnesty to most of the former confederates so it's not been used very much since then as a matter of fact according to ap legal scholars could only find one example of it being deployed in the 20th century and that was against the socialist who was not seated in congress because he objected to u.s involvement in world war one
2: Amanda, this is going to court in the state as well. Charlie mentioned the U.S. Supreme Court, a hearing is set for next week, uh, but but this has already been appealed now or at least a lawsuit filed in Cook County Court. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. And really the state board had been known that this was going to happen, really no matter what way it went and they were preparing for that. Um, and so the argument here is that it is, not just within the purview of the State Board of Elections, but a mandate that when folks signed up to be members of the State Board of election, you might not have wanted something this controversial or this deep, but lo and behold, that is the job before you, so you have to take it up. Um, There was also pushback from the group of voters that um, this argument that Trump didn't knowingly falsely sign that he was qualified to run for the president, saying that 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 just does not hold muster legally or in terms of just sheer common sense. Uh, So those are the filings. And they're also asking for this to be heard on an expedited basis, because we really do have a a quick timeline even before this will be heard is when ballots are supposed to be ready and prepared to send to overseas and military voters, uh, something that I think we, as you have some states that were making it more difficult to vote, Illinois very much went in the opposite direction, has quite a lengthy period where you can cast an early vote, and there are perhaps some sort of unintended consequences of that. One being that election uh, authorities have a difficult time making any sort of last minute changes or dealing with challenges before they're supposed to have everything ready and set to go for the earliest of early voters. And so those deadlines are rapidly approaching and, in fact, likely to come up even before this is resolved, particularly if you have whatever side um, ends up losing in court wanting to take this up to to the next level should it get to that point.
2: And Charlie, this seems as though, uh, well, you know, it's not the type of publicity most people would want. Donald Trump has really played off of this, not only in fundraising, but also in sort of saying, hey, look, they don't want me on the ballot. They're trying, you know, the the establishment is trying to kick me out of this. And it probably has made him stronger with his base. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think that's true. He has
0: an amazing ability to take what for anyone else would be very damaging news and turn it into a plus. It's like he welcomes these kinds of things because then he can appeal to his base, the so-called MAGAs and say, look how they're persecuting me and I'm there for you and I'm taking all these, it's almost like he has a savior complex. And so that is helpful to him in terms of winning the Republican nomination. The big question is, in November, will it make that much of a difference? Or will people say, basically, this guy is just a con man? He's got a certain cult that follows him, but the rest of us don't want any part of it.
2: Amanda, before we move on from this, I think one thing's interesting. Charlie was reading that quote from the Republican member of the State Board of Elections. There are a lot of Republicans in government, or at least close to government who don't necessarily agree with Donald Trump, probably would like to see him go away. They'd like to see the party go in a different direction. That type of thing comes out a bit here in a state like Illinois, maybe more so than some other more what you would call red states.
1: Yeah, and in fact, I think somebody who's gotten a lot of attention to it was one of the top Republicans in the state before he retired, and that's you know former House Republican leader Jim Durkin, who said, yeah, I was interested in running for Cook County state's attorney, but there's no viable path with Trump at the top of the ticket. This is clearly something where uh, Trump has a lot of fans in Illinois. Let me be clear. There is very much a segment of the Illinois Republican Party that backs him, believes in him. Um, Loud and clear, that's where you see downstate, uh, both the candidates for the congressional seat, both um, Mike Bost the incumbents, as well as former GOP nominee for governor, Darren Bailey, clamoring, you know, for Trump to side with them and to get his endorsement. But there's certainly particularly in the Chicago suburbs, a, a disdain and a wish for him to go away um, in Yes, Sean, I think that that was evidenced in some of the what you heard, particularly from that member of the State Board of Elections. I'd also heard how difficult it was for the Elections Board to really find a hearing officer for this case, given the pushback that could well come with it from those who so ardently believe in Trump and are have shown themselves to be quite vocal about it when things don't go the former president's way. Um, and if I may, before we move on to another topic, just because it, we talked about the 14th Amendment, I wanted to be clear, it, the Fourth 14th Amendment also came up in an attempt to get... Joe Biden off the ballot in Illinois, and that was because of an argument that did not certainly have as much of the legal muscle behind it, or at least professional legal muscle. But uh, you had two camps of voters who were pretty quickly dismissed by the state board of elections. Their their argument not given uh, too much of credence, but uh, from folks who argued that his policies when it comes to what happened um, in Afghanistan, for example, as well as uh, what's happening along the southern border are akin to aiding and abetting an American enemy. So if you take that insurrection clause in the next couple of words, trying to use that as a reason that Biden should not be permitted on the ballot. Uh, And I I bring that up again, not because there was particularly any news there that was swatted away and not expected to be challenged in court, so it's over and done with, but just um, is, I guess, sort of where we are at in these political times, both from a Polaroid's point of view and what the board seemed to recognize that had it been granted in any way, that they might continue to see any sort of policy disagreements being used as an opportunity to keep a candidate from running in Illinois. Uh, And it just sort of holds a pattern of perhaps this new stage of uh, a political era that we are in.
2: You're listening to State Week. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield. Our panel includes Charlie Wheeler and Chicago Tonight's Amanda Vinicky. Amanda, I will stay with you. You got to see or got to talk to some people involved with the Democratic National Convention, which, of course, will be in Chicago this summer, get a bit of a preview of some things. What did you uh, come away from that with?
1: So a, a lot of this was off the record, which is, you know, the, the term where reporters are able to engage with the newsmakers, but not report and sort of pretend like they, they are fully unaware, <laughs> almost of what even happened. This is different than on background. I can't, you know, report it and say that I was told by somebody without naming their name. It's just fully, fully gone. Um. That said, I, I will share that there wasn't really much off the record <laughs> that uh, but we, we weren't already aware of. Uh, really, what you had the DNC previewing was logistics for how this will go and sharing what is interesting to me, um, how many volunteers that they are going to need from the city of Chicago. They are actively recruiting neighborhood ambassadors that will serve as a conduit between Delegates, the media, just folks who are here wanting to be part of the DNC um, and local residents trying to there's clearly an effort by uh, the DNC organizers to have a published set of vetted establishments, be it bars, coffee shops, restaurants that they can use to send folks to, and they're really placing a high priority and making sure that there's a a diverse listing of those organizations and places to send individuals to. But by the way, for listeners who aren't in Chicago, uh, they're also actively recruiting folks who would be those sort of representatives from downstate. They want ambassadors as well for Central Illinois and are trying to sort of make this an opportunity that's not just the DNC, but uh, a lifting up of Illinois in general, um, and uh, a sort of goodwill mission for, for the state and um, its tourism industry.
2: Yeah, Charlie, we've talked about this before, but I think it's worth mentioning again. I mean, this is a, of course, it's a scripted event, several months away still, not till this summer but it has the makings of some potential headaches for not only the city of Chicago, but the Democratic Party in general. I mean, we you've got some very controversial issues going on right now that are sort of splitting the party, the, the, uh, the situation in Gaza, of course, you have that, you have this uh, uh, influx of migrants coming into the city. Yeah, there's, uh, as you mentioned,
0: there's just kind of the ongoing issues, plus there's the very strong likelihood that there are going to be, protest demonstrations. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple groups advocating for abortion rights and LGBTQ plus activists applied for permits to have marches in the uh, Jane Byrne Plaza, which is right by the water tower on August 18th, the day before the convention, and the city denied them And so they appealed, and shortly before we started to tape this, uh, the judge denied the appeal, and so they're not going to be able to get permits. But the spokesman for these groups said that they're going to, they plan to march at the Jane and Byrne Plaza at five o'clock on the Sunday before the convention opens, whether or not the permit gets approved. And he, he's, he was very strident about the fact that the Democratic Party, in his opinion, pays lip service to the to gay rights legislation, reproductive rights legislation, and that they are going to push so that the convention delegates know that they are serious about wanting the party to, one of the things they'd like, for example, is that uh, there would be, a legislation that would legalize abortion in all 50 states. And those are those issues. So there's there's the potential for some kind of a what would you say confrontation between these activists and public safety officials. I'm not sure if they're going to be special police units or whatever, but that would be an additional headache. And I guess part of it is I recall I, I was in 68, I was in the Peace Corps in the Republic of Panama. And I started the Sun Times in 69. And many of my colleagues there were reporters who the summer before had gotten the Dickens beat out of them by Chicago cops as they were trying to cover the sixty-eight Democratic Convention, which was a a real black eye on the face of Chicago, I believe. Well
2: you
1: know I, I think Chicago officials the the governor, everybody is so keenly aware of that history and seeking to avoid it and that's one of the reasons that organizers say Chicago was chosen that there are of course amenities like hotels and restaurants where it's a big city and you don't have some of the pressures had there been uh, the first post-COVID return to an in-person convention uh, that you might have come up against with a smaller city, but also that history very much informs their planning. Um, And so I don't think that those are going to be necessarily the, the, the protests that are going to be the loudest or, or causing the most. I will add that, for example, when we got the preview at the United Center, um, there was a small group of pro-Palestinian slash pro-ceasefire uh, protesters outside of the United Center. At that point, we're going we're going to see a lot of civic discourse. That's something that planners say that they are going to be aware of. And uh, I think that it is, however, among the ongoing concerns for any organizers to, to plan for that, to plan for protests, to plan for those who nonetheless go out even without the permits that they're supposed to have. Um, crime is going to be a concern. The notion that there will be more migrants sent to the city, likely very much intentionally just before and during the convention Uh, those are among the challenges that dnc organizers are up against
0: so that was interesting is that chicago public schools are going to they want to and they're kind of surveying parents on it now they want to delay the start of school for a week so that school doesn't start for chicago kids until after the convention is over And one of the things that was suggested, this would give students an opportunity to be involved in the convention.
1: You know, for me, I would just think it would be sheer traffic. Um, Not that Chicago, again, isn't used to hosting all sorts of major events. Something that organizers point out is when the city had the UN here, you know, there were a lot of protests and a whole lot of people, but this is sort of a a different animal. Um, And I am somebody who is always annoyed every extra minute that I'm stuck in my car and, <laughs> instead of doing something. So that might be a, a common sense reason beyond the civic engagement portion that I'm sure some parents will want their students to take advantage of and then others um, dismayed that, that any sort of you know political notion would enter into a school calendar.
2: Amanda, just a couple of minutes left here. And speaking of some of these disagreements going on in the Democratic Party, that's been on display over the last few weeks when it comes to Governor Pritzker and leadership within the city of Chicago, like Mayor Brandon Johnson. The governor was critical this week of a Chicago City Council passing a resolution calling for a ceasefire in the Middle East. This barely passed with Johnson's help. Uh, But uh, Pritzker was critical of that. So what do you make of this? And is this uh, does this just show some of those uh, differences of opinion that are starting to boil up?
1: You know, uh, there always has been sort of uh, differences, of course, between both of the parties. And this is another time that it's rearing its head. But I do think it is a challenge if you just look at support for the likely nominee for Democrats for president that they're uh, some, it, that, that popularity for Biden is lagging, and particularly in corners such as youth. And this is one of the areas where uh, the more progressive wing of the party and the younger elements are very frustrated by the president's policy when it comes to what is happening in the Middle East. Um, and we watch that fight play out continually on the Chicago City Council. Uh, it is particularly poignant, I, I think, because Chicago is getting ready to host what is basically a huge party all for Biden and really meant to lay out the red carpet and make his life as easy as possible As dem- for the Democrats aiming to make his life as easy as possible when it comes to winning reelection and something like this does make that perhaps more difficult. That's why I think you both saw uh, Pritzker, who uh, has made similar comments before when it comes to the Middle East and objected to Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson's stance for a ceasefire, where the governor has tried to say it is should be more nuanced than that, but also really trying to downplay the meaning of a, the resolution that Chicago's city council passed with, again, the mayor breaking a, breaking a tie, so really only passing because of him, um, to say that this doesn't do much. So it, it's both trying to downplay it, and then at the same time, um, the governor coming out very strongly critical of this move, and I think that is in part because of the DNC.
2: All right. Well, let's go to now to our notes from the field. And uh, Charlie, I'm going to go to you first. Well,
0: this past week, there were petitions filed with the U.S. court, district court, by federal prosecutors asking the judge to give Tim Mapes up to five years in prison for lying under oath when he was being interviewed with respect to the uh, investigation into Michael Madigan and the ComEd situation. Prosecutors said in a in a court memo that Mapes lies, quote, were calculated to thwart the government's sprawling investigation of a series of unlawful schemes calculated to corrupt the government of this state at the highest levels. Uh, but on the other hand, attorneys for Mapes filed a, a brief Saying that uh, he should be given a sentence of time already served, supervised release, and significant community service, they, they had 100 and more than 130 letters of support, pointing out what a what a wonderful person Tim Mapes is. Now, sentencing is going to be on February 12th, so we'll see where the judge comes down on this.
2: All right, and Amanda.
1: Yeah. Uh, Chicago Tribune, for those who rely on it for additional coverage and have come to appreciate the many Trib reporters who have been guests on Week in Review, um, that they didn't do a whole lot of reporting, that the edition was pretty lean, and that is because Tribune reporters who are part of their union went on strike yesterday. They have been working to secure a contract from since 2018 to no end and this comes as the paper is now under the ownership of Alden Capital just a uh, guess uh, a tip of the hat to my brother and sister reporters who went out and um, did something that is often difficult for journalists to do and become the news versus cover it um, and it comes as just a, a rough time for journalism where you've had a whole lot of layoffs so, you know, the L.A. Times, Pitchfork magazine that came out of Chicago um, and just sort of all over the place. So we appreciate all of the, the listeners and those who know that it does cost money to report on the news and to do it well.
2: Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of State Week. Our panel included Charlie Wheeler and Amanda Vinicky with Chicago Tonight. Look for State Week where you get your podcasts through the NPR app and at nprillinois.org. Join us next time. I'm Sean Crawford.
0: You've been listening to State Week, a program of commentary and analysis of events in Illinois state politics and government. State Week is produced in the state capitol by public radio station NPR Illinois. This is IPR, Illinois Public Radio.